Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. Let us open our Bibles tonight, beloved saints. We're going to open our Bibles to the gospel according to Mark. And for those of you, how many of you just um, for a moment have been in the seminars that we've been teaching in the past for maybe four weeks on um, serpentine spirits, on taking up, on taking up uh, serpents, and on they shall cast out devils. How many of you have been part of the seminar? Praise the Lord. All right, so for the sake of those that are new, we may reiterate some of our material tonight. Tonight we're opening to the gospel according to Mark, and we are going to look at Mark's gospel, and let us begin, beloved saints. The Bible says, and we're going to see that it's going to begin with a bit of confusion. It starts in verse 16, and he asked the scribes, why question ye with them? And one of the multitude, verse 17, said, Master, I have brought unto you my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And the Bible says in verse 18, and wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Now, beloved saints, before we go any further, there's something very unusual about we spoke, I spoke, the Father is saying, to your disciples to cast them out, but they could not. All right? Now, this is extremely unusual. Why? Why would you think that would be unusual? It's very unusual because if we go to Mark's gospel, let's go to Mark chapter 3, and let's look at verse 14 and verse 15. Why the disciples could not cast them out is something that we need to look at. It's not something we can pass up because they were called to do that. That was their mission. They were called to cast out devils. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Looking at Mark chapter 3, verse 14, the Bible says, and he ordained 12 that they should be with him, that he might send them forth to preach. And he gave them power, to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. So they were already empowered to do what? What were they empowered to do? They were empowered to cast out devils, weren't they? They were sent forth to do this, weren't they? All right, let's look at another piece of evidence here about their anointing to cast out devils. Let's go to Mark, and we're looking at Mark chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 7. All right, Mark chapter 6, verse 7, we're continuing in the context. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 6, and the Bible says, and he sent them forth two by two. Let me just get that for you. The Bible says, and he sent them forth two by two. I'm going to just get that from my scripture. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. 
And he sent them, and he called unto him the twelve, and he sent them forth two by two and gave them what? He gave them power over unclean spirits. So we're seeing this twice, aren't we? They were empowered in Mark chapter 3. They were empowered in verse 15 and verse 14. And they are empowered again in Mark chapter 6, verse 7. They're sent two by two, and he gave them power against unclean spirits. If Jesus commissioned you with power against unclean spirits, would you be able to cast them out? Of course you would. And if you've been doing this for a while, wouldn't you be able to do this? Yes or no? Yes. So does it seem unusual that they could not cast them out? Yes, it does. All right? And we need to realize that one of the objectives of Mark is to show us that Jesus is going to teach them why they could not cast them out. How many of you would like to know why they would not, could not cast them out? Put your hands up and say, I want to know why they could not cast them out so that I myself will learn how to cast them out because this is part of the Great Commission. Okay, let's go over to Mark chapter 16. I want to make sure we're dealing with everyone is understanding the spiritual significance of what we're speaking about tonight. Going to Mark chapter 16, say the Great Commission. The, great commission. the reason I've been baptized in the Holy Ghost the reason I've been baptized in the Holy is to go into all the world to preach the gospel. Hallelujah. You are so precious. I see some of you out here, and I just want to go up and just say, boy, do you know the call of God on your life? Mark chapter 16, looking at verse 17. Notice, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, what's the first sign? Say it together. Okay, so is that just for the 12? Or is that for every believer? That it comes as a result of obeying the Great Commission, doesn't it? For those who say yes to the Lord, I'll go, I'll do what you ask me to do. I'll go into all the world to preach the gospel. And automatically, even if you're a new Christian, even if you don't have experience, God will use you to cast out devils. That's the first thing. Are you with me? Now, if Jesus gave the disciples authority and we saw that he called the 12, that they should be with him and gave, called them to preach, to go forth, to heal the sick and cast out devils. Then we see it again in Mark chapter six, verse seven. And he sent them forth two by two and gave them power against unclean spirits. Then we see here in Mark chapter 16, verse 17, he's commissioning the 120 before he goes back to heaven and says, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, they shall cast out devils. Is this important, yes or no? Absolutely yes. So the fact that they couldn't cast out devils is unusual, isn't it? All right, so let us look and see why. All right, look at verse 28. After the spirit came out of that young man, verse 28 of Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9 is our place, um, our place tonight. In Mark chapter 9, looking at verse 28, 
the Bible says, and when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? How many of you would like to know why? Put your hands up right now and say, tonight, wonderful Jesus, I want to be more anointed than I've ever been in my life. I claim the charismatic gift of discerning of spirits. I claim that I will walk in the call of the Great Commission to cast out spirits. Train me tonight in the things of God that I grow up in the spirit to a place of spiritual maturity where demons are subject to me. Let me go forth in the anointing to bring demonic power down. In the name of Jesus, spirits will be subject to me. Show me how to operate in the things of God and to cast them down and to make them obey in the name of Jesus. It shall be done. Now give God the praise and give God the glory. All right. They want, and they, and they came into the house and his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? And we're looking now, beloved saints, we're comparing this in the context. And he said unto them, verse 29, this is what Jesus is answering them, why they could not cast them out. He said, and he said, this kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now, tonight, beloved saints, what I want to show you is the words, this kind. Say with me, this kind. All right, we're going to look at this first exegetically. Since Jesus told them this was why, then obviously we need to know what this means. Yes, we must have lives of consecrated prayer and fasting, but the important feature here is this kind. I want you to understand the words in the Greek language because the New Testament was written in Greek. This kind comes from the Greek word ginos. Can you say that with me, ginos? Genos means breed. This breed. Say with me, this breed. Okay, everybody knows what a breed is. If you have some beautiful horses and you love horses, you've got a beautiful corral full of horses, you've got a Palomino, you've got a stallion, they're all different, aren't they? A Palomino is a different kind of a horse. Or you have another kind of a horse. They're all different. We have horse experts over here. All right? And there's various different breeds, aren't there? All right, the same thing with spirits. Persons who raise dogs know that there's breeds of dogs. 
Okay, this word, this kind, genos, comes from breeds. So this means that it's critically important if you are going to be skilled and effective in casting out devils, that you have the scriptural ability from the word of God to be able to discern what breed you're dealing with. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, all spirits are not the same. Are you with me? So the first supernatural secret of discerning of spirits is breeds. Breeds, say it with me. All right, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to look at the gift of the Holy Spirit called discerning of spirits. All right, let's look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we are looking, beloved saints, at verses 7 through 10. The Bible says in verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to profit with all. Amen? Now let's look at verse 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts, plural, of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits. How many of you want to operate in discerning of spirits? Now, guess what? You're going to have to operate in discerning of spirits if you're going to cast out devils because Jesus said this kind cometh forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. So how are you going to know what kind it is and what remedy to apply to get it out or to get it to be repelled out of your life or out of the territory or off of the people that you love? How is it going to obey you if you don't know what kind it is? Right. Hello, somebody. Hallelujah. Say, I'm going to do what Jesus told me to do. Okay, so the first supernatural secret of discerning of spirits, notice this is one of the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. So discerning of spirits, not only discerning of evil spirits, but discerning of the spiritual realm and discerning also of the human spirit. Because sometimes we don't know what spirit we're of. Do you remember when Jesus would put his, set his uh, heart to go to Samaria and he sent his disciples before his face? This is the second time he's going to Samaria, Samaria after the woman at the well. And he goes ready to go to, to Samaria he sent his disciples before him, and they would not receive the disciples. Why? Because they knew Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. So when Jesus got to Jerusalem, his disciples asked him, Lord, should we call down fire? Should we call down fire like Elijah and consume them? And Jesus said, you know not what spirit you are of. 
So the human spirit, it doesn't mean they had a bat that they had a demon, but sometimes the human spirit can be totally off. And so we have to have discerning of spirits. Someone can say something to you with an ulterior motive. It sounds so good, they want you to do something. But their motive is not in your interest. It's in their own interest, and you have to discern that spirit. Are you saying, are you, you understand what I'm speaking of? Let me show you how Jesus did it. How many of you want to learn discerning of spirits? Put your hands up. Say, I want to learn discerning of spirits. Let me give you a beautiful example of how Jesus did it, beloved saints, so that we might be able to see um, this very important feature that we need to have, hallelujah, when we are able. Let's look at John chapter 2, verse 23, just for a moment. John chapter 2, verse 23. The Bible says, verses 23 through 25, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles that he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He already knew what was in man, so he never committed himself to any man. Are you hearing this? Because he knew the human spirit. He knew that one moment they will love you, and the next moment, they will betray you. Hello, are you with me? Amen. Say this with me. I want that kind of love that Jesus had, that kind of discipline Jesus had. I want you to know the rich young ruler. Go with me to Mark chapter 10. I'm going to show you his discerning of spirits. How many of you want to see how Jesus discerned spirits? Put your hand up. How many of you want to see how Jesus understood the human spirit? Put your hand up. All right. He already discerned men. He had very strong discernment. He, uh, he was the, had the strongest operating gift of discerning of spirits of any person in the Bible, of course. But it's featured tremendously in the Word of God. That's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that operates through Jesus that the scriptures are constantly spotlighting. His discerning of spirits and discerning of the human heart. The discerning of reasonings. The discerning of men's thoughts. They didn't need to tell him. He already told them their thoughts. Why do you reason in your hearts? Are you with me? Let us look just for a moment so you can understand in a greater measure what I am speaking about in Mark's gospel in the 10th chapter. Hallelujah. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to just do this really quickly. I'm not even going to look at my notes on this because the Holy Spirit's taking us off in this direction and I have to follow it for a moment. All right. Do you mind, saints? All right. Let's look here for a moment. The Bible says, in verse 17, in verse 17, Mark chapter 10, 
The Bible says, and when he was gone forth in the way, there came one running. Wow, he's pretty excited. Have you ever seen somebody run after something they wanted it so desperately? And then they fizzled out when they found out what the price was. There was one came running. Hallelujah. And he kneeled to him and said unto him, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why are you calling me good? Notice Jesus never took any praises of men. Hello, somebody. I said Jesus never took the praises of men. Put your hands up right now and say, Lord, make me humble like Jesus. And notice what the Bible says. Jesus said, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. He's quoting the Ten Commandments, by the way. I said, Jesus is quoting the Ten Commandments, by the way. In case your modern theology tells you to do away with the Ten Commandments, then they're going to have to do away with the words of Jesus. Hello, somebody. Are you with me? We've got all kinds of modern theology now. All kinds of non-scriptural new revelations that are outside the word of God. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. Jesus said, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. He's quoting the 10. Do not bear false, false witness. Defraud not. Honor your father and your mother. They're a little, they're a little um, not in order but he's quoting them. Are you seeing this? And he says, all these I have observed from my youth up, yet what do I lack yet? Notice what the scripture says, Jesus beholding him, loved him. Why is the Bible telling us this? Because Jesus knows he's going to walk away. Jesus knows that he came running. He looked all excited. Everybody would say he's the most zealous of anybody. Looking at him in the natural, if you were discerning the rich young ruler in the flesh without discerning of spirits, you could be pretty thrown for a loop. He's kept all the commandments from his youth up. He's running. He wants to be do something. He wants to follow Jesus. Jesus beholding him. This word beholding in the Greek language is the word blepo. Do you know what that means? That means to look beyond somebody's face into their spirit. Jesus beholding him loved him. And he said, Jesus knew what he was going to say the rich young ruler was not going to do because he went away sad because he had many possessions. But you see, Jesus discerned it right from the beginning. How many of you want to discern from the very beginning? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to pray for you to be spared a lot of headaches by having discerning of spirits. 
Are you with me, saints? Do you understand what I'm talking about? Hallelujah. And so, the, dear people of God, there's the discerning of the human spirit. There's the discerning. Let me just give you some examples because the Lord is telling me to do so. And so I want to do so. I want you to look at Mark chapter 2, verse 8. Mark chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says, and immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, very quickly. Mark chapter, well, notice, look at Mark, Mark 2, 8. It says, immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that what? They so reasoned within themselves. He said, why do you reason these things in your heart? They were blocking the anointing by their reasonings. He perceived it. They were going to stop a miracle that he was about to perform for the, para, uh, the paralytic. And their reasonings were blocking it. Put your hands up right now and say, Holy Spirit, don't let me do reasonings. Don't let me logicize myself out of the word of God because that's not really logical. To logicize yourself out of a miracle is not logical. Do you know why? Because it's much more logical when you understand all of the proof that God gives in his word, all of the proof of everything that Jesus has done and everything God has said in his word is logic. I want you to understand doubt is not logic. Amen. Notice what the Bible says here. Let's look at some other examples of Jesus discerning the human spirit. Are you seeing this? Reasonings. And he read their thoughts. He knew their thoughts. It was necessary for Jesus to know their thoughts so he could correct the thoughts out loud. He never let somebody get away with a thought. I said he never let somebody get away with a thought. He always called them on it. And said, why are you reasoning? Why are you thinking that, you hypocrites? Hello? He knew their thoughts. Say discerning of spirits. This is a human spirit. It doesn't mean a demon. It means what's in man. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is not a demon. This is what's in man. And sometimes man can cause a lot of problems. Notice Matthew 22, verse 18. Matthew 22, verse 18, the Bible says, and Jesus perceived their wickedness. Matthew, let's look at that. Matthew 22, verse 18. Do we all have it? The Bible says Jesus perceived their wickedness. That's Matthew 22, verse 18. We have it just the back, the opposite. So I'll just read it really quickly. Matthew 22, verse 18 says for us, beloved saints, Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you tempt me, you hypocrites? 
Hallelujah. Notice they had asked a question to Jesus under pretense. Have you ever had somebody say something to you under pretense? They're saying one thing, but they mean another, or they're trying to trap you into something. Hello, I said, we have to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. Are you hearing this, saints? All right, so Jesus did not allow them. He did not allow them to, to um, perceive and to, to, to um, proceed. This is why the Bible says, they asked him, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? They're setting him up. And he perceived it as a real easy thing to discern. Some things you don't have to have the, a, a whole lot of discernment to see. It's right there. Common sense will tell you. And so here we see that the Bible tells us, and he perceived their wickedness and said, why do you tempt me, you hypocrite? Show me the tribute and the money. And he answered with so much wisdom. Let's look at one more example and see one more example in John's gospel in the sixth chapter in the 26th verse. Oh, this is a difficult one. You know, Jesus was grieved when the young man was grieved. Did you know that? When the rich young ruler went away and he looked and beheld him, beholding him, he loved him. He knew he was going to go away and he still loved him. Say this with me. He knows what I'm going to do, even when it doesn't please him. And he still loves me. I said, he knows what I'm going to do. Even when there are some things, there are some things that, may not please him perfectly, that may not please him perfectly, and he still loves me. I said he still loves me. Hello, I said he still loves me. Somebody ought to say he still loves me. Even when I make a mistake, he still loves me. Even when I have a wrong attitude, he still loves me. Even when I'm not fully committed, he still loves me. Amen. That young man was not fully committed at all. He's going to walk away because he has great possessions. But Jesus still loves him. Say this with me. His love doesn't fluctuate. He loves me as much as when I'm obeying as when I'm not obeying. The only difference is when you're obeying, you're dearer to him. Doesn't mean he loves you more. It means you're endeared to him more. I said you're endeared to him more. You're favored more. You're in fellowship and you're endeared. Hello, somebody. Say, I want to stay in that endeared state. I want to stay always so dear to my master. Come on, come on, come on, somebody. All right, Jesus discerning spirits, discerning the human spirit. We're not talking about demons. We're talking about human beings, the way man reacts. So don't get thrown for a loop. If you don't have discerning of spirits, you might. 
Lord will show you right from the beginning if somebody's truthful or not. And he'll show you right from the beginning somebody's sincerity. Sometimes you have to find out a hard way. But that's the way to learn. And we have to respond the way Jesus did. Beholding him, he loved him. He allows you to see it, you still love him. You don't judge. Are you with me? But you just got to handle things accordingly. All right. Jesus, John 6, 26, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. In other words, he's saying, you all came to me today not because you wanted to see God's miracles and hear my word, but because you were hungry and I multiplied the food. Hello, somebody. Did you see he discerned it? All right. So we have shown you the human spirit, and we didn't really take much time because there is a whole, a whole uh, understanding on that. But tonight we are talking about demonic spirits. This kind cometh forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. So we are seeing breeds of spirits. Are you with me? So the first supernatural secret of discerning of spirits is to discern the breed. Put your hands up right now and say, Holy Spirit, show me how to discern the breed. Now, can I go a little bit deeper? Okay, how many of you really want to know about breeds? Okay. Well, let's dig in for a moment. Can we? Okay. Do you really want to know about the breeds? Okay, we're going to do something unusual tonight. We're going to use scriptures, and in order to disambiguate, sometimes scriptures are, are, are said, but we can interpret them a certain way and misinterpret them, even if we um, do exegesis on the words we, we need commentary to help us, don't we? And we have to be very selective on sources that we use to help us interpret scripture. So tonight we did something. We're going to use scriptures that are in the New Testament that help us identify breeds, but we're also going to use some historic sources that are going to give supporting evidence to the scriptures we read. Okay, some of the, um, the, the evidence that I'm going to show you tonight is a bit provocative, so I'm not going to give the names of some of the demonic spirits. But first of all, I'm going to show you the source I'm going to use tonight is the source used that is going to help us interpret the scripture, okay, historically, is a man by the name of Marcus Jastro. He's a rabbi. And Marcus Jastro was one of the most outstanding Hebrew scholars that ever lived. He lived in 1829 to 1903. And his expertise, and I'm going to get some of this from Safaria, 
Safaria is one of the um, one of the online sources that if you are looking up Midrash or you are looking up sources in the Talmud, that you can just click on Safaria and you will get excellent sources. Okay, you'll get you'll get anything you need from the Talmud or from some sources that you might want to use, and only Torah class will understand what I'm saying about this, okay? Um, so Safaria, Safaria gives us the background of the author of, of Jastro, who is the author of Jastro's Dictionary, which is the first English dictionary for studying the Talmud. All right, now let me tell you about Marcus Jastro. Marcus Jastrow wrote a dictionary with thousands of words. And all of the words that he has written in his dictionary, he's written several. One in particular is Mishnaic Hebrew words, what they, what they mean and how they are applied in historical times, basically used in the Talmud. All right, he also is uh, an expert in the Targums. And he has written dictionaries on Aramaic words and their use in biblical times and in the Bible. Then he has also written dictionaries on Hebrew words. And so he's an outstanding scholar. So one of, he's written, let me just give some of his sources so you know how reliable he is. He's the author of the Hebrew Aramaic Dictionary of, Targin, uh, of the Targumim, the Talmud Bavli and Yerushalayimi, and Midrashic literature. Rabbi Marcus Jastrow was a German-born American Talmudic scholar. All right, so that should tell us enough, right? All right. Now, Jastrow's findings and analysis on, on names of demonic spirits, which he does name them, because they were named in Aramaic or they were named in Hebrew tradition from um, historic sources. So he's got it all lined up for us. I'm not going to... I'm not going to tell you those names because I can't prove it from scripture. But I can tell you the names of these demonic spirits, not their names, but how in scripture the behavior that is alluded to their names is found. Okay, are you with me? Yeah. All right. So I, I want to compare the behavior or what you might say the identity of certain spirits and the names that I'm not going to give you but that we're going to find in scripture. Okay, so Jastrow's findings and analysis, analysis contribute, to, uh, beloved saints, to the conceptual framework 
and the characteristics of demons from a Mishnaic Hebraic perspective. Are you with me? Is that a good perspective? And the answer is yes, because that corresponds with the culture of the first century. And that corresponds Hebraically with the authors of the New Testament. So that the expertise in his area is in the area of rabbinic Judaism. So therefore, not modern, not after the, um, the medieval times. No, we're talking about the times of the Bible. So therefore, any of his analysis that has to do with demonic activity that he's just giving us an explanation and the meaning of. Well, and if it corresponds with scripture, it will help me identify, help you identify certain texts in the Bible and give them deeper meaning because we have a historic source by which we can point to that's reliable. Are you with me? Are you with me? If you are, say amen. So historic sources that are reliable, not just somebody's imagination or what somebody wrote in a book with no scholarship behind them or any kind of anything, they just decided to write it. All right, so here we have Jastrow's dictionary and, and many of his uh, thousands and thousands of words. The classifi he classifies the types of demons by the degrees of their, uh, of their power and their rank. So in Hebrew, demons are actually um, categorized by their rank and also by their power. Some have more power than others. Hello, I said some have no more power than others. So now let us get scripture to back that up and use Jastrow's dictionary um, from this scholarship to help us serve as a commentary, okay? So let us begin. First of all, let us see um, Luke 11, verse 26. We're going to do 24 through 26. We saw that Jastrow's findings and analysis contribute to this conceptual framework that demons from a Hebrew, Aramaic, Mishnaic perspective um, are defined by various degrees of power. Is that important for us to know? Yes, it is, because I have to know if I'm dealing with a really strong demonic spirit or just one that if I just rebuke it, it's gone. And usually what happens is just three or four people lay hands on somebody, they rebuke it, and the person still stays in that state. They haven't received deliverance at all. Because why? We haven't been taught how to recognize the breeds. We have not been taught to do it the way Jesus taught his Talmudim to do it. This kind cometh forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. We have to know what we're dealing with. Hello, say, I want to know what I'm dealing with. Are you with me? All right. Luke chapter 11, 
Let's go to verse 24 first, and, then, and we'll look at 24 through 26. When the unclean spirit is gone out of the man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest. And when he finds none, he says, I will return to my house from whence it came out. And when he cometh, he finds it swept and garnished. Here we go. Verse 26. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Say this with me, seven other spirits, seven other spirits. More, wicked more wicked than himself. Than himself. Say this with me, so demonic spirits, demonic spirits are definitely classified in degrees of wickedness. Put your hands up right now and say, Holy Spirit, show me the most wicked ones. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you some of the most wicked ones are those that oppress the poor and want to keep them in that state forever. Abusive spirits, spirits that humiliate people. Those are very wicked, unbelievable bondages that need to break off of people's cycles that will, the enemy wants to put on lives to destroy lives. We break that power here tonight. All right, we're looking at, now we're going to look at this in Greek a minute, can we? To get further evidence so we know what we're talking about? All right, we have, we have this scripture, then in order to understand this scripture, we've used Jastrow's dictionary. And we've used Jastrow's analysis, and his analysis is that in the Hebrew, Aramaic, Mishnaic perspective, that demonic spirits are classified by various degrees of power. Got it? Yes. Hallelujah. We have Sister Sherry. We got a seat right here in the front row for you. Come on, let's give her a great big God bless you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. So more wicked indicates a greater degree of intensity. Say it with me, a greater degree of intensity. Okay, but let's look at this. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven, the word is other, other. Okay, the word other in Greek is the word heteros. Say it with me, heteros. Okay, heteros doesn't mean other. King James messed it up because other means, well, I think I, I'm, instead of using this Bible, I'm going to use another Bible. Give me that other Bible. All right, but that's not what heteros means. Heteros means different. He taketh to him seven other different spirits, not other spirits, different spirits, all right? And so we see here this word hetera meaning different. So um, he taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, hallelujah, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Did you see that? Hallelujah. 
So now, beloved saints, we have understood the first supernatural secret about breeds and the first supernatural secret about breeds that we just got tonight is that, number one, Jesus said this genos, this kind, cannot come forth but by prayer and fasting. The word genos meaning species or breed. Saw that? And then we are seeing and we saw from Jastro's dictionary that one of the Mishnaic concepts of um of, of spirits of demons is that demons are classified by their degrees of power and we confirm that that became a source by which we can interpret luke 11 26 luke 11 26 that says that when he goes out he's going to look for seven different spirits, more wicked, more wicked, more wicked showing that demons are classified by wickedness. Are you seeing this? So the more wicked they are, the more power they have. The less wicked they are, the less power they have. Are you following me? Okay. All right, so we have seen we have seen this, beloved saints. Hallelujah. Now, beloved saints, we are continuing in the context, and we are seeing historically from Jastro's dictionary, we are also going to see there is another type of demon that is classified specifically in Hebrew, Aramaic, a different name. I'm not telling you the names because they're not scriptural. I'm just telling you that's the name that the Hebrew people gave them. Okay, so it's not in the Bible, so I'm not going to tell you. But I am going to tell you what the second classification of spirits are because it is in the Bible. Amen. Okay, the name is not in the Bible, but the classification is in the Bible. Are you following me? Yes. Okay, the second category of breeds are the type that afflict bodies. I said demonic spirits that afflict bodies, that attach themselves to illnesses and afflictions in bodies. Are you hearing me? All right, let's prove this. Okay, let's prove this because this is Marcus Jastro who's categorizing them for us and we are using those categorizings as commentary so we can understand what we've read in the word. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right. Let's look at the use throughout the New Testament of demonic spirits and physical afflictions together as one. Not all sickness, but certain afflictions. Okay, certain weaknesses in bodies, um, uh, in, the, in the Greek language, where you get the word asthma, some of the breathing afflictions are used in the Greek language, very similar words for infirmities. And we always see infirmities, vexed and evil spirits and infirmities. 
So does this mean that in a Christian has an affliction in the lung that the Christian is somehow um, a person that this, that is evil? God forbid. No way. But it means that we must have our eyes open because we're in a battle. And the enemy wants to afflict our bodies. And he wants to afflict our children. And he wants to afflict everything about us. So when we have discerning of spirits, we know the right weapons of war to use. Are you hearing this? Hallelujah. Somebody ought to shout the victory. And you'll know how to pray effectively. Are you hearing this? We want to learn how to pray effectively. We want to learn to pray and get results. All right, beloved saints, let's look at the association. Now that Marcus Jastro has shown us this association um, with this, let's go to Mark chapter 1. We're going to just use Mark really quick. Mark chapter 1, verse 34. Let's look at verse 32 and 34. The Bible says, And at evening, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. Verse 34, And he healed many that were sick with divers diseases and what? Notice the association of diseases and casting out of devils. Do you see that? All right, let's look at further evidence. That's not enough evidence to, play, to place a, a doctrine on it. Okay, that's not enough evidence by any means. Okay, we need lots of evidence. I want to see it over and over and over so you can't deny it. Are you with me? I want to see it scripturally built up, and I want it to be so scriptural so that we are not guessing. Are you hearing this? Okay. Let's go to Mark 3. Mark 3, and we are going to see. Um, actually, let's go to Mark 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 13. And I will again reiterate the, what, the call of the disciples. I'll just read it. Verse 7, and he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth two by two and gave them power against unclean spirits. Verse 13 is the one we want. Verse 13 says, and they cast out many devils and anointed with oil them that were sick and healed them. Notice the association of infirmity and casting out of devils. Are you seeing this? Okay, let's go to further evidence. Let us go, beloved saints, very quickly to Luke's gospel. And we're going to go to Luke chapter 8. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 8, verse 2. And certain women, which had been what? Wait, I want to make sure you're reading a word. And certain women that what? Were healed of evil spirits. Notice, healing of evil spirits 
instead of casting out evil spirits. Are you with me? Say this with me, healed of evil spirits. So that tells me that their physical affliction was demonically induced. Are you hearing this? Gave further evidence. That's a pretty strong piece of evidence right there. Certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and what? Infirmities. Notice evil spirits and infirmities. Say it with me, evil spirits and infirmities. Okay, let's go further. Let's, let's look further. Notice, not always when the Bible says Jesus healed the sick are evil spirits associated. But we're seeing it in these cases. Are you understanding? So that the healing of evil spirits associated with infirmities is distinctive. All right, let us look and Acts. Let's go to Acts. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. And let us see in the post-resurrection period how the disciples handled it. In Acts chapter 5, looking at verse 16. Acts 5, 16. The Bible says, And there came a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folk, which were perplexed with unclean spirits. Notice, sick folk and them which were vexed with unclean spirits and what? He healed every one of them. Notice it didn't say he cast out the devils. It said he healed them. All right, let's look at another one. Let's go to Acts 19. And we won't write a book on this, okay? We'll give you so many scriptures that you, you have a little booklet. I'm just giving you enough to convince you to stand on the word so you have something to stand on. So that you know you're following the word when you're praying. All right? Acts chapter 19. Verse 11 and verse 12. And God wrought special miracles through the hands of Saul, so that, uh, Paul, and the Bible says, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and evil spirits went out of them. So now, Jastrow's classifications are two. We've already seen the classification of, uh, in Jastrow's uh, dictionary. We've seen one association that we're reading right now, that evil spirits are associated, um, that one kind, I won't tell you the name because it's not in the Bible, but a certain type of spirit is, is the kind that they would classify that afflict bodies and make bodies very ill. And then we saw um, demonic spirits by degrees of power, Jastrow's Dictionary. Certain have certain names because they're more wicked. And also by rank. And this is also scriptural. So by rank, 
by degrees of wickedness, and we have shown you that through Luke 11, 26. And we saw these through these various scriptures. Are you with me, saints? Are we, are we learning something? Hallelujah. And then we see, beloved saints, hallelujah, the Lord is showing us here tonight. We're getting deliverance tonight. Serpents and scorpions, which would be another facet of spirits. And then there are certain types of spirits that they have the name for that are usually, now this is, this is hard to, to swallow. Okay, but they're said in Jastrow's dictionary, and it can be proven in the word of God. Certain spirits that migrate in wilderness territories that howl. And they're in those territories. And they, they, they want to stay in those territories. So let me give you scriptures, okay? So we know that this is not just something that's a figment of somebody's imagination. All right. Let's go back to Luke 11. Luke eleven twenty six 26. Or 24 is better. Luke eleven twenty four 24. Says... And when the unclean spirit is gone out of the man, he walketh through dry places. Obviously, an evil spirit can't walk. It's not walking. So we have to look up that word in the Greek language. And the Greek language there means passes through dry places. So when the unclean spirit is gone out of the man, it passes through dry places seeking rest. Okay, so what do we want to look for? We want to look, first of all, for um, the fact of what are dry places? What does that really mean? And the other one is, obviously, it's not walking through. It's the Greek word is passing through. Okay, passes through dry places. So that is something we need to we need to disambiguate. We need to say, what is dry places? Does it just mean deserts? What does that mean? We need to look it up in the Word of God, and we need to see where it's used in reference in other places in the Word. Okay? So we see this word dry places is the word in Greek, a new drone. And a new drone is only used in four places. So it's really important to look up those four places where a new drone is so we have the right perception of what uh, walking through dry places means, okay? Because a dry place can mean just a desert or it can just mean a wilderness. And obviously in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus was in the temptation in the wilderness, Mark's version of the temptation is very short. It's not at all like Matthew and it's not at all like Luke. Mark's version of the temptation, he was in the temptation, he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and in those days he did eat nothing and the Bible says and he was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered unto him. I actually heard a translation 
say he was with the wild animals. Wait a minute, what? A, where did you get that translation? He was not with the wild animals. He was with the same word where you get beast, where you have that same word in Greek in the book of Revelation when it is speaking about demonic beasts. Are you with me, saints? And the angels of God ministered to him afterward. We're always seeing the angels minister to Jesus after he's been in a battle. Did you notice in the Garden of Gethsemane, they came and they ministered unto him? And did you notice in the wilderness, they came and they ministered unto him? Put your hands up right now and say, I want to receive, hallelujah, the Lord to send angels to minister unto me when I'm weary and worn out the same way they ministered to Jesus. Somebody ought to say, I'm claiming that right now. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. The Bible says, are they not all ministering spirits sent to them who are the heirs of salvation? Yeah. Turn to your neighbor and say, know your redemption rights. Hallelujah. But let's look at this word, dry places. All right, this word, a new drone. This word, a new drone, is used in Luke chapter 11, verse 24 through 26. So that eliminates one because there are only four places. And the second place is in Matthew chapter 12. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, it's the same thing that we read in Luke. So now we only have two sources left in the New Testament that use a new drone, dry places. And those two sources that are left are from 2 Peter and from Jude. And they both are in reference to demonic spirits. Let us look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 becomes a new drone is no longer so um, ambiguous. We are seeing these are wells without water, clouds that are carried about with the tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. So we are seeing without water is a new dros. Set with me. Without water is a new dros. Look at Jude, verse 12. Jude, verse 12. It's very similar to 2 Peter 2, 17. Jude, verse 12, is extremely important. Jude, verse 12 says, Clouds are they without water, carried about of the winds. I want us to see if we can put that up. Clouds are they without water. You, you, you and I have to understand, all clouds that are natural clouds have water. All right, I, I, I actually wanted to see if there's any kind of a cloud that's in our atmosphere that doesn't have water. Of course, there's dust clouds and there's, you know, some other kinds of clouds. But in terms of what we would say, clouds in the atmosphere... No, um, NASA says that all clouds, actually all clouds, beloved, 
are made up of droplets of water. Okay, the, um, a mass, of, let me just give you NASA's explanation of a cloud. A, ma a mass of water drops and um, ice crystals suspended in the atmosphere. That's how clouds are formed. So when it says clouds without water, they're not referring to those clouds. Clouds without water, a mist of darkness. Clouds without water, this is the same word that is used for dry places. So now we are understanding that there are certain spirits that are carried about with the tempest. They're just like in the winds. Are you hearing it? And they can come to cause havoc, if you will. We have to bring order. When we, when we sense confusion, it doesn't mean you have to see a big dark cloud. It doesn't mean that you have to have the wind blowing. But what it means is things are out of order. A tempest is something out of order. It's something that's very chaotic. It's something that's causing havoc. So there are some spirits that cause havoc. They want to harass us. Or they want to come against you, or there's disorder. Are you hearing this? So we've learned from Jastrow's dictionary four different breeds of spirits. Are you with me here tonight? Tonight, I believe God wants to raise his people up in such clarity and in such anointing. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.